Welcome to my Euro specials. Andy Mitten is a journalist and author. He founded the best-selling United We Stand fanzine. As a 15-year-old, a journalism graduate, uh, he's interviewed over 500 famous footballers, past and present. His work has taken him to over 100 countries, which I envy him for, writing about football from Israel to Iran, Brazil to Barbados. Born and bred in Manchester, he divides his time between his city of birth and Barcelona. And you can catch him on Football Extra, the studio show on Sony Sports channels right here in India. Andy, first and foremost, I hope the family and you are safe and healthy and you've got your vaccines. I've had one of my vaccines, Rishi. My my family are in Barcelona. I've been away from them. It's going to be 31 days, so that's not easy, but this is my job. Uh, this is what I got into, and I've been traveling all around. I've been to, I think, eight or nine countries on this trip. I will have watched 15 games. The weather has been fantastic in most of the places, apart from London, where it's currently raining, and the football's been good. I've, I've really enjoyed the tournament. I've been doing it mainly for Sony Sports, so I've been speaking to an Indian audience been getting a lot of feedback from football fans in India and I've enjoyed it it's the, the travel is really tiring the paperwork which you need to travel at the moment I've become an expert on PCR antigen lateral flow tests if you want any advice anybody in India ask me about you know whether it's better going up the nose or in the mouth I can tell you this but I'm very privileged to be doing this a lot of my friends would love to be at these games and, and I'm traveling around meeting all these weird and wonderful and interesting characters and it's the whole world around football, which also also interests me. In in Baku the other day, I, I went for a, a coffee with um, some French diplomats who live there, who support Denmark. There was a Manchester United fan there who was educated to a very high level, but eight months earlier, he'd been in the war. And wow. Exactly. And he was telling me what it was like. I'm neutral. I don't take any sides in this, but just listening to this man saying he didn't wash his hands for 25 days, he would not ever like to go back to war. And this all comes out of football. This all comes out of this journey of meeting people who love football, but life is not just about this simple game. Everything comes out of that. And when you travel and go to places like Denmark after Christian Eriksen had a heart attack and died briefly, you wrap in the emotion, the tension. And you see national identities being forged and growing stronger. People are coming out of lockdown and their behaviour is changing. Probably the England fans more than any. And I, I took a video for Sony Sports last week when England scored against Germany. And it was just like crazy humans jumping around on a trampoline bouncing in celebration and people were saying is this true are human beings really doing this i'm saying yeah trust me it's true this is how happy they were to score against their old rivals germany well that's very lucidly put but i've got to say that you know one would think that coming out of a pandemic things would be a little subdued and then you see the danish fans for example some of them climbing up uh, on top of buildings and showing their posterior and just going nuts so the frenzy has that changed you know from past editions i'd like you to comment on that well this tournament's changed because traditionally it's held in one country and now it's being spread across Europe. So I'm seeing these different national identities. So in Spain and Seville, it's too hot to go crazy. You've got to find shade. You can't be jumping around because it's 36 degrees. And the Spanish fans were, were more reserved. They're in this huge stadium. The stadiums are not full because of restrictions. In Denmark, the stadium was fuller. The people were not reserved. They're not wearing masks. You sense that they're, they're almost out of the pandemic. In other countries, it's very strict. When I arrived in Bavaria for a game in Munich, the, the, the border official, after he'd laughed at my accreditation photo, said, come on, this you can't be serious with this photo. He was saying to me, you've got to have a test at this point, this point, this point. And the German authorities were ringing me and saying, have you had this test? 
you know, real humans, not just computers. And you've seen the different national, almost stereotypes, the German efficiency. It was raining in Amsterdam, of course. And in England, there is more of this sense of abandon. And maybe it's the English psyche. Maybe it's, this is what football does to people in England, for better and worse, because I'm, I've not always been a fan of England football fans. And when I'm trying to do my job outside the stadium, speaking to people in India, people will just start jumping around behind me. You know, when they see a camera, I feel like saying, what are you doing? I'm just doing my job. But they're just excited because they think they're going to be on television. And inside Wembley, the atmosphere is really good. Against Denmark for the semi-final, they're now letting 60,000 fans in. So in the group stage was 20,000. Then it jumped to 40,000 against Germany. And now it's going to be 60,000. It will be amazing. 40,000 was amazing. You've seen different nuances to the traveling fans. You're not getting hardcore traveling fans traveling between countries because they're not allowed. So when you see the Germans in Wembley, they are middle-class expats with good professional jobs. They're not booing national anthems. They're polite. They're not, they're not hardcore ultra-type fans. And I'm sure it will be the same with the Italians tonight, the Spanish, their expat fans. The England fans in Rome for the game against Ukraine, they did not boo the Ukrainian national anthem like the idiots would normally do from England, as well as singing songs about World War II, which was 80 years ago. But they still, they still sing this. I, I saw them with my own eyes. And in Rome, you've got in these very polite British people you who know, probably would have been in India 100 or 200 years ago. You know, this is, this is how it is. And now they're teaching English in Rome and they're politely applauding like it's a rugby game or a cricket game. Or Wimbledon. <laughs> yeah, or Wimbledon. And um, so you're seeing real changes here. But I think the football has been good. I've really enjoyed the football. I was in Baku the other day, like I said, Denmark, Czech Republic, great games of football. 2,000 Danish fans, 30 Czech fans, 30, because people can't travel. It's so expensive, the paperwork. And I'm arriving at airports as a journalist, so nervous because I need six different pieces of documentation. And you're worried that number five is not quite right. Ah, you need a PCR, not an antigen. Why did you have this in Georgia? What were you doing in Georgia? But when I come face to face with people, they're good. Humans are good. If you're nice with humans, they're good. They're good to you. I found out wherever I've been around the world and that this tournament is taking place, that it's functioning. It's not perfect. The perfect world would be full stadiums, but the football has been really good. There's been some really exciting moments and it's been a privilege to, to cover it. When, when Christian Eriksen went down on the pitch, could you, I know it's difficult to describe these things. Could you describe the sense of what you got in that stadium? You know, was it numbness? Was it shock? What was it? That was my first day of the tournament so working for, for Sony Sports. So I just got to London and I watched it on TV and I knew I was going to Denmark for the next game. And I watched him go down on TV. I felt sick. I felt, I just felt sick. I, I turned the TV off. I didn't want to see this story unfold. I turned the TV off. I thought he died. I told my wife what had happened and I just didn't want any more news. But we're drawn to news. We can't help it. And an hour later, a picture emerges of him leaving the field on a stretcher and he's alive. Wow. And your hope soar as a, as a human. Wow, he's not died. Because a lot of footballers have died because of a collapsing on the pitch. And I could name them and it doesn't happen every week, but it happens frequently enough at professional, at amateur level across different sports. And when he survived, I just thought, I'm just, I'm just happy for his family that he's alive uh, on a human level. And then I went to Denmark. Wow. So 
stereotypes. Yeah, the, the COVID testing is like straight out of the airport every day, really super efficient. The weather was beautiful. It's so expensive that maybe don't add that, don't buy anything in Denmark. The the fans were all wearing red and white. It was a beautiful summer's day. People were jumping into the water by the harbour side. I was shown around the city by a lady who lived there. It was a wonderful day. Walked through a park to the park and stadium, seeing fans with Christian Eriksen's name on the backs, hearing them sing his name. And this wave of emotion was so strong that they went against the best team in the world and destroyed them for the first half. I was like, this is what emotion can do. Because Belgium are clearly better than Denmark, but Denmark were better than Belgium. And then at halftime, reality struck. Kevin De Bruyne, who's better than any Danish player, he came on, bang, 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 world-class goals, Belgium win. But because the way this tournament's designed, it's almost fail-safe. Denmark still got through and are still in the tournament. And they'll play a team called England in the semi-final. Nobody expected Denmark to get this far. I didn't really expect England to get this far, if I'm honest. I'm used to failure. But Denmark have got a good team and... I watched their, their captain, Simon Kajar, the other day. He's a big Liverpool fan. I've interviewed him before. Maybe we'd have a slight difference of opinion on things, but what a hero. He, he, was, he was the hero who, when Ericsson went down, he acted decisively. He was injured on Saturday against Czech Republic. He refused to come off the field. He was this warrior-like figure. And my admiration for him is utmost, firstly on a human level, because he contributed to saving the life of his teammate. And people love Denmark. It's an inoffensive country, historically. In sporting terms, they play attractive football. I think a lot of people in the world will want Denmark to beat England. But then the English, no trophies since 1966. Good team, good manager, nice guy. Half the fans are offensive, half of them are decent people. And it people will be watching. The numbers watching are huge. In the UK, obviously, but... Even in India, I'm getting huge feedback. I can see that people are really engaging in this, despite the inconvenience of the tick of the kickoff times being late. It's capturing people's imagination. Let's look at the first semi-final: Italy versus Spain. Luis Enrique doesn't like being told Andy that he shouldn't be playing two left-footed centre backs, but the stats do show that Spain concede more and that uh, they have a tougher time when that key combination is not Eric Garcia and Amerik Laporte. What are your thoughts on Spain's backline? Well, Luis Enrique doesn't like the media and he got criticised a lot in the group stage and Spain were poor. They don't concede. They've got Laporte, they've got Pal Torres, who had a very good season for Villarreal. And seven years ago, I wrote to Luis Enrique in Spanish and he replied to me in English. And I said, I want to interview you. And he said, come to my house. So I went to his house. He said, I don't like the media. I don't do interviews for the media. So why are you speaking to me? You're speaking to me because you want to work in England. This is why, because you're out of a job. Come on, let's go. And we spoke for 90 minutes. He was amazing. He was amazing. A great player, great manager, and would become an even better manager. Completely engaged in football culture. When he'd finished playing football professionally, travelled around Europe with a hat on to experience the atmosphere on places like the Cop in Anfield. And I really, really warmed to him. And I have a huge amount of respect for him. And he's overcome tragedy in his private life. His daughter passed away. And Spain is a little bit divided on him, but he's proving people wrong. He's not saying, listen, I'm not listening to you journalists tell me what to do because I'm a professional football manager and I know what I'm doing. And why should I listen to you? And Spain then win a game. Spain are in the semifinals. This was not expected. This is not a vintage Spanish team. I said on Sony, outside Seville, they've been really poor so far. But then they scored five and the confidence just surged them. And there's a feeling now that, They've done better than expectations by reaching this point. Anything else would be a bonus. Italy will probably be the slight favourites. 
Italy, like Spain, are built on this strong defence, but it's a real, this, this is two heavyweights. I can't wait to get to that stadium later on and watch in, in the glorious reign of London. Let's talk about Donnarumma in goal for Italy. I mean, everyone was talking about Gigi Buffon's legacy, Andy. And this 22-year-old kid has already played 215 games in the Serie A for AC Milan. 31 caps now for Italy. And I think the highlight of his goalkeeping is that save against Kevin De Bruyne in the game against Belgium, which I think De Bruyne must still be thinking about. Your thoughts on Donnarumma? He's one of the best goalkeepers in the world. And his age, when you look at how young he is, you just don't think that someone this young can be so accomplished, so mature. He'll probably leave Milan because Milan is not the Milan of the 80s and 90s where they bought the best players in the world. Everyone talks, as you said, about Buffon, complete opposite end of the age scale there. There's no reason why he cannot become the next Buffon for the next 20, 20 years. And his agility impresses me. I've watched him closely this season. And I went to Milan. I spoke to Milan fans. I spoke to journalists. I said, who's your best player? And they, they didn't say an outfield player. They said their goalkeeper. So it's hugely important for an Italy team, which again, is not a vintage Italy team. This hasn't got the, the stars of old. Mancini is a wise manager, great player, great manager, worked in different countries, worked in England, won the league with Manchester City, although I try and forget about that. Clearly good at what he does. And he's got his Italian team. And I, I was just outside earlier, I spoke to some Italians who live in the UK. They, they've got tickets for the game tonight. Can't wait. I, I find myself like not just looking at football but comparing the national anthems, thinking, I think Italy is my favourite one, then France. And then maybe you venture this opinion on Twitter and, no, no, how can you say this? This is rubbish. Ru Russia is clearly the best one. What about India? Well, I've not heard it. I need to hear it. 100,000 people in a cricket stadium in India <laughs> screaming out to. that one will beat anything else on the planet. <laughs> I would love to. I, I once went to Mumbai and walked across the, the Oval there and was invited to join in an informal game of cricket. And uh, these 15-year-old kids uh, just bowled me out like first bowl and laughed at me and said, <laughs> welcome to Mumbai. You know? <laughs> Andy, psychology is such an important subject for Luis Enrique. He loves working with the team counsellor and psychologist Valdez. I'm quite keen to know what you think of that. Some people say it's all mumbo-jumbo. What are your thoughts? It's not. To, to have a clear mind, I think not just in football, but in any profession, helps you do your job. If you're laden down by doubts, if you have anxiety, you're inhibited. And I spoke to players throughout my adult life and if they're confident, they're doing well. What One player, I always remember him saying to me, he was a Premier League striker, there is nothing worse in this game than hearing your own fans boo you. It destroys you. You expect it from away fans. So some of these young men from working class backgrounds, which most footballers are, are not naturally given to communicating with strangers. And I think that there's been big advances here. And I spoke to someone close to the French team in Seville and he talked about the mental side of football, getting these players, because they have to deal with issues that traditionally players have not had to deal with, such as social media, such as thousands of people calling you terrible names if you do something they don't like. And you need to be protected from that because you've risen so far as a sports person because you've got this level, clearly you're hugely talented, but mentally you need to be able to deal with what goes on on the pitch but also off the pitch as well and you're attracting often the wrong type of people people who are coming to you because of money because of fame and you've got to be real you've got to be really careful so i think the english football has become much more sophisticated in european football and as you said Luis enrique is a big fan of using psychologists if you've got a happy contented team because football lends itself to disappointment only 11 players can start only 11 can win you're injured you're unhappy. There's very, very few people walk off the pitch 
smiling the hero. If you think of the huge numbers of people involved in a single game of football, it's usually one goal scorer. Maybe a few players have played well or the team has won. But look at the England team at the moment. Most of those players in the squad or in the Spain squad or Italy or Denmark, they're not playing. They're sat in hotels away from their families. They're privately frustrated. They want their chance. And a manager's got to manage all of that. It's difficult for one person to do. So if you bring in psychologists, they'll help you. And it leads to more balance and, and, and a mental balance as well within the team. And on a sporting level, do not fear these people. I remember speaking to Jesper Blomquist, the old Man United Milan winger, the night before the 99 Champions League final. He sat in a, his hotel room shaking, writing a note to himself. You can do this. You are not a bad, you are not a bad player. You are not a bad person. You can do this. Writing it on paper. Do not let your parents down. It's amazing to think of a, a young adult in that situation struggling. You know, losing Spinozola is going to be a terrible blow for Mancini and the squad, Andy. He's been star of the match twice. It's an Achilles injury, so he's likely to be out for a while. The left back has been, has been spectacular, hasn't he? I mean, I remember a goal line block against Lukaku in the Belgian game and then him going close to volleying in at the other end. Incredible energy. My question to you is, will Spain exploit the lack of Spinozola? And what could be Mancini's options now? They'll try to, but we're in July here. This season, I think it's inevitable that players are being lost. I'm surprised more have not been lost. I think that the reason Bruno Fernandes, Kevin De Bruyne, some of the biggest name players have either been injured or not been playing is because of fatigue. This season didn't just start in August for them. It started two years ago and in the middle of it, you've had COVID. So I'm surprised there's not been more, more injuries. Italy've got a big squad and Mancini's a wise old owl. And he's worked at a lower level, at a higher level. Luis Enrique is the same. These, these two are like, for me, they're like the, the coolest dressed managers. They're both into cycling away from, you know, physically they look after them, them, themselves. And technically they've, they've been great attacking players, attacking midfielders, forward, deep line forwards. And they will put trust into the names which are not obvious names. So if you look with Spain, Pedri is still 18 years old. He was a second division player a year ago. He's now Spain's probably key player. He's 18 years old. Italy. People always fancy Italy because of the name. Defensively, they've been excellent. They're set pieces. They work hard really at them. They have had the advantage of playing in Rome and Spain have been in Spain and England have been in England. So that, that's a factor. And I can understand why if you're Switzerland, you might not be happy with this. And I'm not saying that, it, that it's fair. But I think that each manager, they've got their own issues. Spain had huge issues with Maratta. He wasn't scoring, but the confidence is now surging. And I think they'll, ju they'll just put trust into the players. And Luis Enrique will be trying to find any weak spots in the Italian team. But they, I think Italy and England, first of all, and Spain, what they do best is defend well. Look at the teams in this stage. They're not the teams who were involved in the two all games. Okay, there's a lot of goals in Spain, Croatia. that are teams who built from the back. They've got very strong defences. Spain conceded one in the group stage. Italy's, Italy's defence is world famous, probably the best defence in the world. England has not conceded a single goal. It's an incredible statistic. So managers have gone for caution, I think, including Spain and including Italy. But something has to prevail because one of them's going out now. Totally. Andy, my, my last question, because I'm running out of time, is famous Euro goals or teams from the past that you look back on now, not this particular edition, Euro 2020. We'll get your views at the end of the tournament. But just when you jog back your memory, any goals that come to mind are famous teams in past Euro editions? I think the most famous one for me was um, Marco van Basten for, for Holland um, in, in 88. And maybe it's because I was a teenager and you remember things so vividly when 
in, 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 I think you remember everything from when you're 17 years old has been the best in your life, the music, the cars, every, every, everything, the football. <laughs> and Van Basten's goal, the way he turned and arched it, huge game, big rivalry in history and enmity between Holland and, and Germany. Paul Gascoigne uh, against Scotland in, in Euro 96. Happy memories of a great summer. Uh, in England. What about you? What are your memories? Well, I was going to say the, Ga the Gaza goal is just yeah. spectacular. Yeah. And to me, that, that team, I mean, apart from Van Basten scoring, the fact that Rijkaard and Gullit and yeah. Van Basten, my God, th th that squad was extraordinary, wasn't it? I mean, it's just yeah. remarkable. So, yeah, a few of us have, uh, have similar memories. So, if you want to catch all the UEFA action, you just we're heading into the final leg of the tournament with the semis and the finals. It is Sony Sports, and uh, all you have to do is get on to Sony 10.2 for the English, Sony 10.3 for the Hindi, and on the studio show, Football Extra, it's Andy Mitten, and you'll find a smiling, excited face uh, outside stadiums, uh, giving you all uh, the excellent reportage or in-stadia. Thanks a lot for your time. Stay safe and healthy, and uh, speak soon. Cheers. It's a pleasure. Thank you.